You're listening to the Pulled by the Root podcast. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Heidi Marble. We are so glad you're here with us. I am so happy to say that I have uh, my beautiful co-host with me, Amy Hansen. She has agreed to step in and be a supportive force for Pulled by the Root so that we can continue to do podcasts consistently. That is the goal. And so thank you so much for being here, Amy. Can you tell everybody just a little bit about you really quick and then we'll introduce our guest. Sure. Um, I was a guest on your podcast um, back in March and um, I'm a domestic adoptee. I was born in 1969 and um, I'm just passionate about hearing other people's stories and supporting um, adoptees and other people part of the triad and just getting our stories and our voices heard. Mm, thank you so much for that. And we are so happy to have Shelly with us today. Shelly is a domestic adoptee as well from 1970. She is a pediatric nurse with a very amazing nursing background. We were just talking about that before we pressed record. She has two sons. Uh, she started her search four years ago, and she also has a passion for helping other people that are in pain. And she wanted to tell her story, and she's been very patient to wait for this interview. So Shelly, we're so glad that you're here with us. Thank you so much. So uh, I was just telling them that I have two men downstairs who will not be quiet. And in my podcast studio, the power went out. So I'm trying to keep <laughs> everything quiet. But in case you hear men's voices, it's not in your head. It's part of this podcast. <laughs> so we'll hopefully keep that contained. Well, all of that aside, Shelly, uh, can you take us back to when you found out that you were adopted and maybe walk us through that part of your experience? Um, I guess I've always known that I was adopted. I don't know exactly, you know, this moment when I found out. I feel like my parents were in that generation where you were told to always tell your children. So I can't think of a specific instance. I just know that I always knew my understanding of it obviously changed over the years. I do recall back being very young thinking it meant that somebody else brought me home from the hospital. I do remember asking my mom that and clarifying and I think they were like, yes, cause that's maybe cognitively all I could understand. So at that point I was like, okay, somebody else brought me home from the hospital. Okay, I get it. So I, I really have always known my family has been very open about it. Uh, again, I think they were the model parents in 1970 of what you were taught to do for an adopted child. You know, obviously now things have changed tremendously, but I do think at that time they've done, they did everything by the book that they were told to do from whatever experts they were dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, did you have a sense that's, that something was different as far as belonging? Did you have any of those feelings at a very young age that most of us share? <laughs> you feel loved, but not necessarily that you belong. Yeah, I felt very loved. I mean, I heard the stories all the time of how special I was and how special my adoption was. Um, my mom could have been the spokesperson for adoption. She would often say how much better it was than her, you know, her birth, going through labor, and strangely, she remembered that detail for detail, and much to my sister's dismay, I think, that 
<laughs> she could say how horrible that was and how much better adoption was. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing, but she, I think, felt that she was making me feel good and special by saying that. I know that it, it's so funny. I think I've shared this before on the podcast, but I really thought I was queen of something because I was always being told that I was so special. It was just such a, such a heart-wrenching thing to realize that that really wasn't true you know, as far as being chosen or special, that it could have been any baby really. So that's just such a painful thing. I think that adoptees have to deal with. Amy, were you told that too? Yes, you know, um, that I was special, that I was chosen. Um, You know, I think also growing up when kids found out you were adopted and they would try to make fun of you, my comeback was always like, I was chosen, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And and I always took that to heart for a very long time until again, like you said, when I came out of the fog, you know, I was like, wait a second. And now I'm not feeling so special and so lucky with everything that has happened. Yeah, it's really, it's really tricky psychologically to deal with this because the, Clearly, you know, adopted parents desire a child deeply. You know, I've had my own infertility problems. And so there's definitely something that I can relate to. But boy, we just need to keep having these conversations so people really understand. So Shelly, when did this start to become like complicated for you? And when did you start to realize, tell us a little bit more about your raising up and, you know, just bring us more into the future with your story. Sure. It's interesting because growing up, I thought about it very little. Mm. I look back now and it's amazing to me because I want to know everything. I'm constantly looking for new information. And I sometimes think, who was I then? Because I just didn't, it seemed like a story. Like I was told this nice little fairy tale. I had this special baby book, The Adopted Child. And after that, you know, I, I guess I felt like I fit in with my family. My sister was seven years older. So maybe I not being super close with her was okay because she was that much older. We didn't have a lot in common just with that age gap. So I feel like I just never thought about it. I even had an adopted friend in high school, an adopted friend in elementary school, an adopted friend in college, all these people I could have connected with. And we all said, hey, we're adopted. And that was it. So I don't think I ever thought about it. Now, looking back, I can could name all the different problems and issues I had because of it now that I know better but it's one of those things that wasn't addressed back then your parents tried to make you fit in as best they could they probably kind of tried to cover up you know any little issues unless it was severe you know mental health care at that time I think was very stigmatized so unless you were really struggling they just made the best of it you know maybe this is how she is or you know deep down I think they were smart enough to know where it was coming from, but you want to just keep moving forward and try to maintain that, you know, so-called perfect family. So I just, for decades, I didn't think much about it. Even having my children, I, right now I'll think and go, wow, I don't think I thought about my birth mom when I gave birth to my children. I was so excited to have somebody that I look like. I mean, that was amazing. It meant so much. I think having children was so important to me. Like, so important. Now I think that's probably why, you know, being, I just needed a connection to be a mother. I know some people feel the opposite and that's okay. But for me, that was really important. Um, My adoptive mother got sick 
right around when I was about 40 years old. And she passed away when I was 41. And I remember when she was sick, it would cross my mind, like she's going to be gone. You know, there is this other person out there. And then I would get busy and forget about it. Also, as I was getting older, you start to think, hmm, maybe I should have some medical information. But also ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I had no health issues because I didn't know about anything. So. <laughs> you kind of just, <laughs> just press on going, well, what I don't know, I'm, I was 40, I'm young enough, I'm fine, you know, nothing's wrong. But it started to gradually cross my mind in the early 40s. But again, life was busy with two sons. I would just think about it and forget about it. And then finally, I would say I was... 47. I would talk to my husband occasionally about it and he was very supportive, whatever you want to do. So I was 47 and I think I would look online at what Wisconsin's laws were and what kind of search they had. And then I would see, okay, you have to fill out paperwork, you have to pay a fee. And not that I couldn't do that, but you're like, okay, I'll look at that another day and months go by. And finally, somewhere towards the end of the year, I said to my husband, I really need to do this. I need to commit to this January 1st of 2019, I'm doing this, this is it. I procrastinated long enough. And he was like, great, I support you. He's like, you know, what's the big deal? What could go wrong? <laughs> Famous last words, you know, we had no idea the emotion that this could cause or all the things. We just thought, well, if they're not good people, we just don't connect with them. If they are, great. So I didn't think, we didn't think much of it. So I guess that was very, you know, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. So. Mm -hmm. January 1st of 2019, I had every, I had all the paperwork at my house. I had an Ancestry DNA kit, and I sat down, I you know, spit in my tube, filled out all my papers on New Year's Day, and had it all ready to go for the next day. Wow, Shelly, wow. Well, a couple of things before we keep going. Would you be willing to go back into your childhood just a little bit? Because you said that there were things that if you looked back, you now could recognize that might be helpful if you're feeling willing to share the specifics about that. Like I'll give you a, for example, for me, I, I plucked out all my eyelashes like when I was a kid and it was, it was like, I was, it was a nervous thing where I had all this in me, but I didn't know what to do. And I look back on that now and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what that was. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever I see that school picture of myself, it, it, it hurts to, to look at that. But I think that it's really helpful for people to know what to look for in a child that's distressed. Certainly, I always had stomach troubles. My mom always called it a nervous stomach. You know, I'd be calling from school all the time. I have a stomach ache, a tummy ache, I want to come home. And sometimes I didn't even have a stomach ache. I just wanted to be by my mom. It was really a struggle. And she was very good at, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom. She really did her best with um, coddling me in that way. But I know that's why I had those issues. I struggled to sleep over at anyone's house when I was little at an age where other people would have done that. I eventually did and got into high school and was glad to be away but it took a long time. It wasn't what I would consider normal or typical. People could come and stay at my house, but I needed to be there. I think I even remembered staying at a friend's house and they had to come and get me at some point. And my parents had prepared this family that that might happen, but they're like, let's try it. You know, they were really nice people. So always stomach aches, wanting to come home sick. Um, 
not wanting to go to things that now I regret, like I wish I would have done. Very insecure, um, struggled to like get out and make friends. I would get friends and have, I had some great groups of friends, but it was a struggle. People had to really reach out to me. I noticed my best friends were the ones who were the type that you feel like you're a best friend as soon as you meet them. And it was mm. because they, they did the work. Like I needed that extra handholding from somebody to make friends. And I think as high school went on, you saw more of the risky behaviors, um, you know, drinking, things like that. And not that other kids in, you know, the eighties didn't do that. But I look back, I see some choices that maybe were normal high school, college behavior, but others, I think were really just trying to be accepted by other people, you know, relationships, dating type things, just really maybe picking the wrong people or just hoping for anyone to connect. Whereas now I look at it thinking, oh my gosh, I would, you know, back then would have been so much more picky or told that person, no, I'm not interested. And I look back now, it was all just a, like begging for acceptance or, you know, being afraid of somebody leaving. No, I can identify completely, Shelly, with just trying to please, right? Trying to make a good impression, trying to be agreeable, um, you know, maybe not stating your opinion if it was going to be different from the other people you were with because you didn't want someone to think differently of you. You wanted to fit in. Um, I also had lots of overreactions, you know, that mm -hmm. weren't like typical, right? Like explosions, <laughs> like outbursts, which, you know, just weren't typical for what the situation was. So I think we all can kind of relate to that same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you both for sharing the specifics, because I think we need to know when kids are in trouble and when they need help. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. So Shelly, let's, let's come back to this moment. So when you're in your forties and you're opening up this door and oh boy, you're not ready. None of us are. <laughs> what, what happens next for you? Can you walk us through? So your, your mom passes, I'm assuming, and then you start to, to do your search. So January 1st, I submitted all the paperwork, spit in my tube, mailed it off. Um, it was around February 13th. I remember the date because that's actually the date of my relinquishment that my birth mother went to court. Um, mm -hmm. And the state called me the search program and said, you know, hey, we've found your, they had been in contact telling me they got my paperwork, et cetera. But that was the first day they said, we found your birth mother. She's still alive. Um, we'd like to, call, to talk to you. So I talked to them on the phone and they said they contacted her. She was like, oh my gosh, is she okay? Um, like, like, why now? Like what made her start searching now, you know, after all these years? Um, and then she had said, I just need to talk to my husband. She just, they just said she was very shocked. I'll need to talk to my husband. So they were like, fine, we'll give her some time. They don't like to keep calling and pushing. So that was the day before Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day is actually the day my adoptive parents got me. So then it was a, almost a week later, I get my DNA results. Um, I look at it all and see some like a little more third cousin matches. I grab a local search angel right away from Facebook. She looks at it and says, give me a couple days and I can figure this out. You know, it's pretty good. So I was like, okay, great. And then she recommended in the meantime, downloading to some other sites for free. So I did that. 
It was about three days later, I woke up, my phone was dinging. I looked, it says, from my heritage, you have matches. So I opened it up. Lo and behold, I didn't know if I was seeing this right, but I saw a match with my birth father and my birth mother. So I was shocked. I messaged her right away and said, is this what I think it is? And she's like, oh my goodness, like it's rare to find this on the same site. Not to mention my heritage, because that's a little older. She's like, it almost looks like they're together and they're looking for you. So let me do a little research. She go, you know, I'm having a hard time going to work that day because my mind was racing. So she goes online and she's like, yes, I can't tell if they're married, but it appears they're together. It looks like your mom maybe uses her maiden last name. She was pulling up all this info. She's like, you know, it looks like they wrote a book together about cross-country skiing in the in the 80s. You know, so right away I'm on Amazon, like, I gotta get this book. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, yeah, so it was very, a lot of exciting information happening quickly. Um, so at that point I thought about it and she just recommended, you know, gave me some recommendations of, of what to do. So I sent each birth parent a message on my heritage. I honestly don't think they got it. Those systems are so, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they could have a new email. Maybe they don't have email alerts. Who, who knows? I don't think they used it much, but I sent them each this generic you know, message. So I've never heard a response from that. So I don't know where those went or if they even got it. I've even called my heritage to like ask how that works and they can't really say too much about it. Shelly, did you have their names? Like their names were in on the site? Yes. yes oh, their, wow. Their full names. It was like, they're okay. there, which is nice because wow. if anybody doesn't believe me when I reach out, it's like, I'll show them. Okay, here it is. This is, this is proof, you know, that what I'm looking for is real. Um, so at that point I sent that email and we were just like, well, started doing online research about them to see like, okay, it looks like they moved to the mountains of New Mexico. Um, they're very high professionals. My mom is a microbiologist. My dad has PhD and is a professor at a small university there. Um, it looked like very solid people. We couldn't find any notes that they had children or anything like that. So I was like, this is really cool. I don't know what to do with the information, but I knew that I had reached out through the state. So I wanted to be respectful and just let them do their part. I knew this was probably a lot for my mother to process. Now I knew at least she wasn't telling a husband who didn't know, at least she's telling a husband that probably knew about me. So that was cool. Um, At one point, I think I did dial their phone number I found online and I confirmed it was them. Nobody answered, but the voicemail was a man and he said, you know, me and my mom's name are not home right now. So I knew, okay, this is them. I've heard my dad's voice. That was really neat. So I just was trying to be patient because I felt like, you know, you've got time. You've waited all these years. Just, I was doing other research, trying to find other connections to cousins, etc. because the search angel was bringing up obituaries. Um, I did find a first cousin. My dad has two sisters. They both passed away like nine days apart which is very tragic in 2016. And through those obituaries, I found first cousins. There was one I could see on Facebook. And I remember one Saturday morning, I was just looking at her Facebook going like, how do I reach out? Cause oftentimes when you do a private message, they don't see it. So what do I do? So I'm just, I don't know. I have, sometimes I feel like there's a sixth sense. Every once in a while I get very just like agitated or some just frustrated and I have to do a search and I tend to find something that I need to find. So I'm looking through all her friends list because I could see it just scanning for the heck of it. All of a sudden I look and I'm like, 
I know this person on her list. So I'm trying to think about it. I clicked on it and I'm like, my best friend from college is mutual friends with her. So I realized that my best friend from college, her, a good friend, this friend of hers from growing up used to come visit us. We went to Whitewater. She'd come and visit with us and we'd go out together. I'm like, this person is friends with my cousin. Like this could be helpful. So I reach out to my best friend from college, tell her what I'm doing. She's like, whoa, like, this is amazing. I will help you. So she's like, I'll get in touch with her as soon as I can. We're like in the car right now, but I'm going to text her right now. So through that process, I found out that this friend of my cousin's was actually um, the sister of my first cousin's ex-husband. They're not married anymore, but this is a very close connection. So they were able to get me in contact with my cousin. Um, it's it took a little while for us to connect. And I think she was, she was very kind and sweet, but message like, this is shocking. I'm just trying to process how to handle this. I mean, I didn't know what these people were like, meaning my birth parents. So I just wanted to find out from her, like, is this something I should do? Can you tell me anything about them? So she proceeded with caution. She's like, you know, I just want to talk to my dad and sister and just figure out how to handle this. I'm like, okay, great. And that was Uh, That was at the very end of March, probably the last week in March, while I was still waiting for the Wisconsin search program for my mom to call back. I get in touch with them every once in a while. They're like, she's not calling back, but we don't want to push her. You know, that's, you don't want to push too hard. We're waiting. We'll leave her a voicemail soon, but we just took our time, which I thought I had a lot of. So I just waited. Um, My cousin said she was going to process and figure out how to handle this. I'm like, okay, great, cool. And then um, like a week later, I was sitting doing a little research to find a cousin on my dad's side and I got, or my mom's side, I'm sorry. And I got in touch with another, there was a search angel online at the time. I said, can someone help me? I think it was on DNA detectives or something. Can somebody help me with something? So um, she was helping me try to figure out how to get in touch with this other cousin. In the meantime, she's like, well, do you know who your birth parents are? And I said, yeah, I have all that info. But I'm like, here it is, because I thought maybe she could find more. You know, you're always looking for more. So she goes online for a few minutes and she came back and said, did you know that your birth father passed away? And I'm like, mm. like you must have the wrong person. Like, I, I just did this recently. You have the wrong person. And she's like, no, this happened like Monday. And this was Thursday. Oh, my God. So she shows oh. me this obituary and this information. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I'm sitting here being patient, waiting. Oh, it didn't give much information, but I, it said it was unexpected. I'm just like, you know, so I'm just kicking myself that why didn't I just make that call reach out? But I thought I was doing the right thing, going through the right channels, being respectful. I thought I had time. He was 69. You know, he wasn't that old. Yeah. And that's such, that's such a hard thing because a lot of adopted people, they're so scared to search because they don't want to be re-rejected by their adopted family. They don't want to hurt. That's the dilemma, you know, that's the line because you were trying to be respectful and understand that this is very emotional for all parties, but therein lies the tragedy, you know, do you, because you can hear about people when they're gone, but it's not the same as getting to meet them. And I'm just so deeply sorry that that loss occurred when you were that close, like, Oh gosh, that's so hard, Shelly. You get this really difficult news. When did you finally hear from your your mom and what was it like to meet her? Well, I have actually never met her. 
Um, no, I have never met her. Um, I got, I contacted my cousin that day and messaged her and said, I just have to offer my condolences. And she's like, I have to offer them to you too. I'm so sorry. This is such a huge loss to you. And I think she felt really bad that she waited a week, but I look back, it was literally a week since I got in touch with her that she was trying, you know, it's not like she's made me sit for months, you know, to, to figure out, to help me to contact them. Um, so she was just very sorry that that happened and said, do you want to talk on the phone? So that was very nice. Um, in the meantime, I did reach out to the Wisconsin search program again. I decided I, I had let them know I did my DNA and I felt like they're too and changed a lot once they knew that. As much as in the beginning, they said, everyone does this, we get it. As soon as I said, I know all this stuff, I know they legally couldn't share it with me, but the empathy, I think, just went away. I felt like I would talk and they would just be silent instead of being compassionate. It really was very frustrating and disappointing. Um, I didn't tell them he died because I wanted to see what they knew. So they did finally reach her and she answered the phone and they said, we're really sorry. We called her and she was sobbing and just said, this is not a good time. I've had a death in the family. I just cannot talk. And I said to them, I know it's my father. And they just got silent. So I said, this is my, my birth mother is with my birth father. I know you don't know that because he wasn't listed on the birth certificate, but that's what happened. And I was sharing information with them as they just sat silently. I don't even think they said, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, it was just very, you know, it's, it's frustrating. And um, I do have connections in Wisconsin that we're really trying to work on some of this and hopefully make some changes in this because I'm not the only one that had these type of experiences. So that was hard. I understood it was a bad time for her. So I, you know, patiently waited. I've sent a letter. I've sent Christmas cards. Um, I've left a few voicemails, not asking for anything, just saying, this is who I am. You know, I did the whole, this is who I am. This is how I know you know, my, how you're my birth parent matched their DNA, this whole like staged voicemail. Um, after that, I just would leave random messages, not asking for anything, not leaving my phone number, just saying, you know, I just want to call. I was thinking of you. So I've sporadically done all these things that I can do. Um, and she just so far hasn't agreed to any contact. I'm hoping that'll change. I know she's grieving a lot. Um, she never had other children. I believe they were very career focused from what I've told from family that knows them. Um, though nobody really knows her that well is the common thread. My dad was extremely social. He came home to Wisconsin to visit often when he could. Most of the time she did not join him unless it was something very important, a wedding, a funeral, sometimes not even for that. Through, you know, she had cats. I have to take care of my cats. There were excuses, but I, I really think coming here is traumatic. I think they left here to get away from it is my impression. Um, I don't think she's ever maybe fully dealt with it or she's buried it so deep. She just can't. And from family that I'm in contact with a lot of my dad's family, which is awesome. And a few people from my mom's side. And I think the common thread is they all never realized why she was that way. And now they're like, oh, this all makes sense. Like they didn't have other children, career focused. She didn't want to come around. I think it all makes sense. And I can't say for sure that's the reason why, because I've never had a conversation with her, but it makes sense. He was, I believe her world, her career and him. 
and she struggled hugely the past four years since it happened. I've heard the, the few people that talked to her the little bit they do said they think she's maybe getting a little bit better now. And then throw COVID into that. You know, that oh, yeah. <laughs> the timing, you know, I, my timing was horrible with all of that. So I just think she's really struggling. Um, one tiny bit of good news. I have three first cousins that I am in touch with and they heard from her when my dad passed away. She contacted one of them. There's one that for whatever reason is her contact point. She's not close with anybody or didn't really keep in touch, but she had to get in touch with somebody to let everyone know he died. So this cousin was the one that told everyone for her because she's like, she can't call these people. You know, he you know, passed away in his sleep in her home. She's devastated. So this cousin helped tell everybody. And um, I think they continued to talk occasionally the first few months. And then my cousin would try to call and it just faded off. You know, and she's like, okay, I don't know if she's just done with that, or we were wondering, does she know, you know, does she know we've all connected? Because there were some older relatives, I think, that sent my mom condolences and told her that, you know, they had connected with me, and it's wonderful, and they thought it would be a good thing, you know, for her. So I don't know how she took that, but I was told on Christmas Day this year, she did call these three cousins that I meet up for lunch. I actually met up with one of them today. And they all thought that was huge. They're like, you know, we, growing up, we never really knew her. They were so far away. They're like, she was sweet and kind when we saw her, but just, you know, more to herself and guarded. So they were so excited to maybe establish a relationship. So they've all, I think, spoke to her on Christmas day or if they didn't answer the phone in the few days. So I think they're all hopeful that they can maybe build a little bit of a relationship and then find a way to, um, <laughs> work in the fact that you know we're talking and I've told them all they're fine if you want to tell her today tell her but I also respect if you want to try to establish your own relationship first I I'm just my heart is wrenching because Shelly you're just so precious like you're such a sweet person and you know I'm not an expert but I just think so much healing could happen if, if you guys could sit face to face, and I know I have in my notes, the big dark secret, you had said something like that. And it's the grip of shame and guilt and who knows what else is preventing you two from meeting. And I just, I just hope so much that, that things soften and that you're able to have that. I can't imagine what that feels like, you know, Amy, what are, what are your thoughts hearing, hearing that? Just listening to your story, Shelly, I mean, you've been nothing but respectful. You've been nothing but gracious. I feel like you are just, you know, you're walking on the eggshells that we all want to do because we don't want to upset anyone. We don't want to disrupt anyone. Um, but I think, I think if she could hear you and mm -hmm. talk about her and just knowing what she's gone through and your father like you just talk with such love and compassion for them in in their life and knowing that you were loved and you had a great adoptive family that took great care of you and you were this wonderful mother with a wonderful career I mean you're nothing but someone to be proud of good news that, <laughs> yeah you know and I, I think a lot of birth mothers kind of I know when I met my birth mother, she 
always thought I would be angry with her. So maybe that's a fear that your mom has that she, you know, that you would be angry with her. Um, but you know, you'll never know until, you know, you can get, <laughs> you can get into that contact with her. Yeah, it's, it's so true, Amy, all of what you said just resonates. And that's why I think we need to talk a lot about reunion. Because even good reunions, you're putting your heart out there, this heart that's already been through so much, this heart that is vulnerable to being abandoned again, to being injured again, every time every step you take, it's an act of courage. And you're, you're literally just laying yourself out there for more injury. But the hope is that in spite of that, that you get the answers that you need so that healing can take place. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of courage to face the truth of whatever, whatever it is. And, you know, I'm just so sorry for the, the struggle, Shelly. So can you tell us more like emotionally what this has been like for you and how have you coped with it and how do you keep going? Um, I think I have good family support. Um, (laughs) Husband and sons were on this journey with me and they're very supportive. I mean, I can't say they don't get frustrated at times and just when you think rationally, you're like, well, why can't she just call you or text you or do something, write you a letter, be done with this or tell you she doesn't want to talk. So I think there is frustration with, from them at times, which I understand. I know they're supportive, but sometimes I have to limit how much I give to them because we have to have our normal, healthy life too. And you don't want this to overcome you. At times it has, I mean, I'm human and it's hard to put it aside. I think at the beginning, the beginning, there was just a lot of searching that was exciting every day. I'm like, I found a new cousin. I found a new discovery. I was a detective, you know, so that, you know, part was exciting. Um, but I, I have a lot of connections with a lot of cousins on my dad's side, first cousins, second cousins. And that's amazing. I feel so blessed. They're a really wonderful family. I had lunch with a cousin today, another one, like a week ago, these are all first cousins. We try to get together every couple months. Um, I have a second cousin that we actually have become like great friends. Like we do so much together, concerts. I'm just like all these things we do together, which is really amazing. And it's not based on this family thing. We just have bonded through the connection, which I am so thankful for her. Um, There's not as much family on my mom's side, but I have met, I have one first cousin on my mom's side. I didn't meet her once and we were together for like five hours of just, you know, kind of spilling (laughs) everything. So connecting with them helps me. Um, I can't say I always handle all of this well. (laughs) There's days (laughs) I get extremely angry about it or frustrated. Um, But I did, the first year or so wasn't as hard because I knew I watched my dad lose my mom and I knew how that was. And I'm like, I need to put her first. She's been through a horrible thing. I just pop in at the wrong time. And then I knew the first anniversary, it gets worse again. So I was able to go, okay, she's hitting that first anniversary. It's going to get better, but this is going to bring it all back. So it's bad. And then COVID starts like literally right during that time. So again, I'm like, the world is weird. So all these things kind of carried me through with just how strange the world was. And also being compassionate, you know, to her at the same time. Um, so just connecting with people that I that I could, connecting with other adoptees has helped me a lot, joining some groups, 
um, another adoptee and myself um, started an Adoptees Connect um, branch in the Milwaukee area about four months ago. So that helps me. Um, I just joined a writing group that started last week. I That's going to be a huge, like a struggle, but it's a challenge for me. So I think that'll help me just maybe get out some of these things that I need to get out of my system and write, you know, maybe eventually a memoir if I can do it. I don't, after the first week, <laughs> it was a little struggled, but um, I think a lot of people in the group have done it more than once. So it seemed like it. So got to start somewhere. So those no, are those <laughs> powerful, powerful and positive steps to, toward healing. And so let's talk a little bit about, we have this beautiful worldwide audience and they're listening and I feel so connected to them because we, even though we're so diverse and we're all over the place, we have this shared experience. What can you tell them from your heart? What do you want them to know about, you know, how you feel toward them and what encouragement can you give to all of the people that are struggling to find belonging and identity and searching and seeking guess I would say this whole process, if you'll call it coming out of the fog, is very difficult. Um, there's ups and downs. It can take a long time. Um, just connect with other adoptees. We all have very unique stories, but we all share a lot of common threads. Connect with them. Find safe places to share your story because I think it helps. Getting out there, talking, having people, you know, validate your feelings. I think it's very important. Those are the things I would recommend just to keep doing that and be brave, share that story. I mean, you have a right to your truth. You have a right to speak your truth. You have a right to search. I mean, I could have waited and felt that how my mom's responding tells me that I have no right, but I do have a right to my truth and I will respect her as much as I can, but I will continue to do things to fight for people to have more truth in their life. I helped advocate, wrote, wrote testimony um, when Wisconsin was trying to open some of the birth records and allow us to get our original birth certificate. I wrote testimony. I got testimony from birth moms that I knew and adoptive moms, everyone just to help. So that kind of, you know, getting involved with that was very helpful to me as well. So if you can get involved in anything like that, I think it's healing. So I would recommend just getting, putting yourself in spaces you feel comfortable. Can I ask, how is your relationship with your adopted family right now going through all of this? Um, I know you said you lost your mom, um, but your dad and your sisters biologically, your parents, correct? Your adoptive parents? Okay. Mm -hmm. So my adoptive parents always my whole life, you know, if you ever want to search, we'll help you, da, 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 you know, and I just never really was into it. So we didn't talk much about it, but I knew they always felt that way. Um, of course, I'm trying to think when it happened shortly after I started my search at that time, my dad lives in Arizona now with his lady friend, girlfriend. Um, he had a, had a couple strokes. He still knows what's going on and is okay. But I feel that a couple times at first, I think I was waiting to tell him because I wanted some closure. I wanted to be like, I met my birth mom or I talked to her so I could share the story with him. And that wasn't happening. So I would bring things up about adoption and he's 
very stuck. Every time I bring it up and I think some of this is the stroke, he just tells this story about how I just always remember we asked you and you said, you know, if they knocked on the door, I would say, thank you so much for what you did, but that's all I want. I don't want to search. And then that's all he says. And then I feel horrible because he's had a stroke. He's just elderly and not doing well. So I'm like, how do I share this? You know, and it's like, I, these things come up and I just couldn't push any further. Now, if he would come out and ask me hundred percent, I would tell him, Mm -hmm. but it's like, he just, his brain is not there. It's not processing. I mean, I can bring up things that I would think 10 years ago would have been a bold hint and he would have been like, what's going on where now it just goes over his head. So he doesn't even click. He's just stuck in this little bubble. I do think his girlfriend, um, I think she sent me something on Facebook, this private thing, and it was a story about an adoptive, you know, reuniting with birth family. So I'm like, I think she knows. And I didn't respond to it because I want it to be him. But I, you know, Mm -hmm. if I would meet my birth mother, I definitely would tell him he would want to know. I think my other fear is right now, if he knows all of this, he's going to be so sad that she won't connect with me because I know he loves me so much. Like, I almost think he would reach out to her and with how he is now, I don't think that'd be a good thing. You know, years ago, I think all my parents could have connected and it would have been a wonderful meeting of all four of them. I really, truly believe that, though I know things can change. Sometimes they say they're okay with it and it that can change. But mm-hmm. so that's my dad's perspective. My sister um, also doesn't live nearby and I can't remember how long ago it was but I was trying to bring it up and I said something and she made a comment that said, Oh, I know how I feel about people that, you know, do things like that. And oh. that just shut me down. It was like, I can't remember if that was her exact words, but it's something to that effect. I shut down. I'm like, I can't say anything. And mm-hmm. we don't talk a lot. Um, she lost her husband a few years ago. So she has her own struggles going on. And I think maybe a few months ago we were texting and I just put it out there again and said, we, she had to go. And I'm like, I do too. I have an adoptee like support group meeting. And she was like, that's so cool. And that was it. So I feel like I've put these hints out there that at one point, or my mother would have been like, like, what's going on? Like, tell us you're bringing this up where my sister just doesn't want to know. And, you know, I, the more I think about it now, I think this caused her own form of trauma being seven years old their bio child, they struggled with fertility issues. They got this baby. I was the tiny baby. She was older. Then my mom is like, oh, adoption so much better. You know, labor with you was horrible. <laughs> so I can acknowledge that she probably has her own issues with this as well. Maybe she's afraid that I'll have other siblings, which as far as I know, I don't, unless one of them, you know, it's possible there's half siblings out there. Never know. But up to this point, I don't think so. Maybe that would make her jealous. I don't know. But so from that perspective, I don't have support from them right now. But I don't blame my dad because I think if I did, he would support me. I just, I'm protecting everyone's feelings, I guess. Sadly. Oh my gosh, Shelly. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, I am nothing like you. You are so polite <laughs> and so sweet. <laughs> I, I just... Lark. You are so kind. Just, I think the word that came to mind is disregarding. And I feel uh, 
a sense of anger actually about this for you. And I'm just being real. And I feel it for a lot of people. And it makes me really emotional because when you're adopted, this, this is the reality. This is your truth. These are the things that you're bumping up against every day. And it's like, you peek your head out of the shell and then you get batted back, you know, too much, too far. And if there were just more compassion about what would, what would you think if it were you? Like if, if you didn't know where you came from, if you didn't understand the circumstances of your existence, if you didn't know your health history, if you didn't know if you had other siblings, why is that okay not to know? See, that's the, that's the pain right there in my mind. And I know I'm ranting, but this is why I think all parties just need to understand there has to be more tenderness and care around all the psychological issues that are brewing with this. It's, mm -hmm. it's just um, excruciating to me to think about the pain that you've had to go through. And I just admire how beautifully you've gone through it. I went through it like a bull on fire. Okay. Just uh, anyway. like, I wish I would have done that with my dad. You know, I wish I would have pushed on because I, might have gotten in touch with him before he passed away. And from the perspective of every member of the family on his side, they all over and over, they say, you know, we, you know, regardless of what you think, Shelly, we know if he were alive, this story would be so different. They all say that. And I know they don't know for sure, but they all say, no, we know what he was like. And it would be a different story. Mm -hmm. I, know if my adoptive father, when he's no longer here, I will no longer keep any of this a secret from certain people. My sister will have to deal with it. I do this respectfully for my dad because I don't want, like I said, I don't want him to have any more stressors. He's already unwell now. Mm -hmm. And if I would just tell her, then she maybe gets him upset. So, you know, once he is not in this world anymore, it will be completely open. I have two Facebook pages even because I feel like I need that place where I can safely talk and express myself as an adoptee. I know my birth name. Um, I was able to write the judge and she gave me my original birth certificate with my birth name. So I use that for my uh, adoptee page. Just, I love that. Oh, I love that, Shelly. And you know, it's kind of that little bit of taking, taking your power back. And I have so much respect that you have care and concern for, for the others that are still alive and dealing with this. And, and therein lies the dilemma because, you know, time's a ticking and it's risky and it's hard. And I'm sorry that you even have to consider those, those things. Amy, is there anything else that you want to ask? And, you know, just before we wrap up the interview. I don't really have anything to ask. I just think what, the advice Shelly gave to other adoptees out there about, um, you know, finding support um, where you can be heard and you can be understood is so important because I know um, talking to other adoptees, we're strangers, but then when we start talking, I feel like it's a comfort space for a lot of us that we don't have in our own families. Um, I have a supportive family as well with my husband and my kids, but like Shelly said, they can only take so much and, Sometimes mm -hmm. when you talk about it, you're like, 
this makes no sense to someone who's not adopted. So to have those adoptee support groups and friends, and even just to listen to podcasts and things, um, it's just so helpful. It, it really helps. So good advice, Shelly. Yes, Shelly, I couldn't agree more. Shelly, is there anything else? Is there anything we didn't touch on? Anything that's really important for you to convey before we go? I just want to make sure we, we covered everything you wanted to cover. No, I think that's it. Um, unless if I would get in contact with my birth mother and it's a positive contact while my father is still alive, I, then I definitely will tell him because I would think he would be happy and I would want him to know that. You know, I think that's definitely, I told myself if that happens, then he'll know. And I'm sure he'll probably want to meet her. I don't know if that would happen, but <laughs> I don't know if she could take that big of a step, but that will be something I promised myself I would do should that happen. And I also, you know, I'm at the point at this hitting, almost hitting this four-year mark that I talked to my husband and he's worried if I wait too long, um, I might be too late. So, you know, I thought about it and I just need to see her once. I need, regardless if she wants it or not, I need to see her. I don't expect it to go well. I don't even expect her to talk to me, but for my peace of mind, I think there's a point coming. I'm not sure when, but sooner than later, but we just need to make that trip with, you know, I guess hoping for the best prepared for the worst, but I can say, you know what? I saw this person in the flesh. We look so much alike. Um, people have told us they can't even tell the difference, our voices when they talk to us. So there's just such a connection that I just, I need that. I need to see her at least once. I, I just want to thank both of you so much for being here and Shelly for, for opening up your heart and telling your story. There's so many people out there can, that can relate to being in the middle of all of this and just trying to salvage your own soul and the own pieces of your heart. And I have never met braver people than I have met um, in adopted people. Just, I'm so proud of our community that we just keep fighting to, to find out who we are and, and then not only for our own healing, but we also desire that other people don't feel the same pain. So thank you for the emotional energy it took for both of you to be here today to do this. And I know this podcast will help a lot of people and we just wish you so much luck. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.